Good morning, St. Peter's. Would you bow your hearts with me? God, creator, redeemer, sustainer, draw near now. Amen. A gospel reading about Jesus performing what initially can be seen as an elaborate miracle for a couple living beyond their means seems a poor choice to me for the second Sunday of Epiphany. I'm aware of it and I struggled because of it. A pandemic tinged Epiphany elevates our communal crying, our crying out, the iniquities, the crumbling institutions, the cracks. It is challenging to speak of such joy and celebration today, of such far-flung miracles when so much feels broken so much feels wrong. So I come to you today having searched the text for a word of encouragement for the light among us. And I, have, I believe I have found one in this simple conversation between a mother and her son. I don't read any text that includes Mary without going back to her beginnings you remember her decidedly illogical story, the one that begins with an angel. She's the virgin on the run who lives a spirit-conceived pregnancy, bearing the Messiah, carrying within her bone and blood the physical essence and presence of God, the God whose essence and presence within causes her to sing a song of personal and communal revolution. In her Magnificat, she sings of the great things done for her, of the powerful brought low and the weak lifted up, of the hungry already fed. Mary sings the magnification of our awareness of Jesus in our midst. Well, Mary, for her part, believes this illogical story. And it's important to remember that fact as we consider her first words in today's gospel. Hers are words spoken to her grown son, the man, Jesus, and then to the servants in attendance. They have no wine. This is a conversation between a mother and her son. And today I consider Mary as the text sees and names her as the mother of Jesus. It is her motherly care and manner that I highlight as an important precursor to the Jesus movement. These words erupt from a mother who with expectation urges her son to step into his calling. Mary's words emerge from her long-standing faith and belief that the son, her son, was indeed the savior. All the listening and following the testimony of John in the previous chapter, Mary already knew this. The word she knew was among them and she wants the word to be true. She wants this illogical story to make sense. Mary wants the word to work. Mary is Jesus's disciple for sure. Their familial bond is personal. It's blood and bone. It's also a committed choice. But at the wedding in Cana, a critical aspect of her role is to function as Jesus's mother. 
Today, as I reflect on the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., remembering his commitment to service and fierce resentment of injustices, both great and small, I'm mindful of his mother, the woman who raised him, Alberta King. Dr. King remembered his mother for the kind of unpopular yet action-based love Mary exhibits in today's text. He credits her with what he calls behind the scenes work, with what he called the unseen work of motherly care. Dr. King credits her for its powerful influence on his life and career, motherly care. And I'll take a moment to say that this kind of care is not exclusive to women who birth children. It applies to anyone called to the work of nurturing another. So that means you too, daddies and fabulous aunties and awesome uncles. Motherly care. Mary exhibits it here when she calls Jesus into his ministry, pressing him in the process of incarnation, of Jesus becoming more of who God calls him to be. Womanist scholar Renita Weems also suggests Mary's knowing long before Jesus did of this divine mission. Remember, Mary had made a commitment to this dream long ago. Keep going back to that visitation with the angel. When we do that, we remember with Weems that Mary wasn't acting impulsively or being a stereotypical bossy mother when she urged her son to perform this first public sign. Mary is loving her son into his purpose, urging him to fulfill his mission, to be who he is called to be, to do what he is called to do. Mary has already cultivated this deep knowing of his calling and her own. Her discernment, her critical remembrance of the angel, the promise of Christ first in her mind before taking residence in her womb, her call, the voice she developed and used, the work of love and her role in it. At the wedding, something else is required of her. At the wedding, as with the stirring within her that breaks forth in the Magnificat, she is compelled to speak. At the wedding, she's seasoned, experienced, ready. And for Mary, ready means being willing to name the wrong, and seeking action from the person she believes has the ability and responsibility to make it right. We don't see her facial expressions, but if I could faithfully offer a little midrash on this event, I'd highlight the face we'd see just before she delivers to the servants the directive, do whatever he tells you. That face, it happens right after he calls her woman and questions if it's any of their business to get involved. It looks something like this. It's called mother face and I'm willing to wager most of you know exactly what I'm talking about. She gives him that look and then addresses the servants. She trusts that Jesus will rise to his calling to move if not cheerfully, at least in obedience. It is Mary's voice and authority that sets this first miracle or sign in motion, letting Jesus know that the time is always right to do what is right. So what of Jesus? 
Pierre Duchardin speaks of us as spiritual beings having a human experience, and that's what's happening here. Jesus is a spiritual being, is in the throes of a human experience, and like us, sometimes he struggles. When Jesus says, my hour has not yet come, I hear, I'm not ready. Most interpretations see this statement as an understanding that Jesus is in control of the events that will unfold through his ministry. Well, maybe, but if we see Jesus as we see ourselves in his full humanity, responding to uncertainty, the depth of this call, could we not hear his fear, his reluctance, his own pause for critical reflection and remembrance? before moving forward. This sign, this epiphany we can taste and see, this turning of water into wine will point to the gift of himself, his own heart's blood given once for all on the cross. This is after all a walk toward death. It is the moment that pinpoints the hour of the cross, his passion, the hour of his death. Barbara Brown Taylor beautifully summarizes this when she says, a call can cut. It is both wonderful and terrible. Beyond the gorgeous mystery is another dimension, she says, one with sharp edges that will cause us to bleed. Jesus comes to the world as Messiah and in the gospels, he is called to be love and comfort to help and heal, to rescue and deliver. Jesus is called as a provider and in John specifically, he is the word. And what is the word among us? If it not move, move us to change our circumstances. At the wedding, Mary senses an opportunity to make the word real. She urges him to make his ministry true publicly. Jesus, with a little prodding, steps into his calling, and there's no shame in that. And I don't say it as a smart aleck, fresh out of seminary upstart, attempting to cleverly rip apart the word of God. No, that's not what, what's happening here. I say it as a life truth and as encouragement for all of us. We, you, me, I, us, all of us could use a little push every now and then. Well, faced with lack, Mary wants fullness. She models for us Dr. King's dream of beloved community, a society based on justice, equal opportunity, and love of one's fellow human being. In light of this, she names a problem and seeks a solution. They have no wine can be heard as a universal cry from any who are intimately concerned with the welfare of all of God's children. It is a call to attention to the many injustices we face. They have no food, no water. They have no access to education. They get paid less. They have no health care. Their children are being taken away. They are dying. Mary doesn't accept the fact of the empty glass, not in the presence of the word. She's having a hard time accepting anything less than what in this moment should be. She alerts Jesus and expects him to do something about it. Her cry, the we do not have it and we should, 
rings in our modern context, loud and clear, strong and true. We do not have it and we should. If Dr. King's dream for a beloved community is to survive, we have work to do. You've heard that before. I'll say it again. We have work to do. We need committed members to name the crisis and capable leaders willing to faithfully do the work. We don't need statistics, but they can be helpful in painting a more complete picture. 29 lives were lost in fires that point to the poor conditions in dire shortage of quality, low-income housing in the city and across the country. They have no wine. In the U.S. alone, we are approaching the dismal marking of one million lives lost to COVID-19. As I say this, we're deploying another 1,000 military personnel to assist already overwhelmed hospitals. And yet, the testing needed to detect and diagnose the virus must be universally available, and that just isn't the case. This level of sustained grief and struggle is exhausting, and it is not over. More wine, please. Nearly 2.5 million New Yorkers lack enough income to cover necessities such as food, shelter, health, and childcare. Take a look at the people in the line at your local food pantry. Notice the new face of poverty, the droves of working but poor families. We need more wine. This line, Mary's simple proclamation at the wedding, is equal parts protest and prayer. It is a valid plea and is in keeping with what Dr. King hoped for when he dreamed of inclusive prosperity and opportunity for all. When the glass is empty, King would say along with Mary, they have no wine. What good is the word among us if it does nothing to transform our very surroundings? If there be any light among us, and it is, and there is, what does it mean? What will we do about it? Like us, Mary's waiting, waiting for the dream to be fulfilled, the hope of beloved community to be realized. Things are not as they should be, but, but we believe they will be. Even if it happens in fits and starts, tiny but real eruptions of good, of justice in this world, we believe and we fight to call out systems and circumstances that leave too many of us with an empty glass. For her part, Mary mobilizes the Jesus movement. Hers is the kind of activism that sustains the dream across social, religious, and cultural divides across generations. It's the kind of activism that challenges antiquated institutions and policies. Mary is the mother of the movement, and with motherly care, she speaks up. Dr. King believed that injustice of any kind should be confronted head on. And in his final sermon before death, suggested that confrontation be massive and dramatic. The world he believed wouldn't move without this kind of direct action. However uncomfortable, we must name our painful realities. Mary and Jesus light that match. 
It's up to us to keep the dream of the movement alive, to keep the fire burning. So much of this depends on us. What good is the word among us if it does nothing to transform our very lives? If it does not compel us to speak, to act? Mary wants Jesus to shine his light, to make words like justice and compassion and provision true, a lived reality for all. She wants that in today's text for this particular family and community and urges Jesus to provide it. Mary's words bring God into the moment and many see because of it. Her words magnify our awareness of Jesus in our midst and affirm her belief that in his presence, in and among us, his presence makes a difference. The sign, the full jars filled to the brim with good wine, the power that can make this happen is the sign of his glory, his divinity. The kind of truly transformative power belongs to Jesus and the revelation of it causes people to believe. That is the whole point of the story, that he's here, that he was there, mattered. Today's gospel is a conversation between a mother and son, a conversation grounded in the promise of an angel. It is encouragement for each of us as we learn to respond to the voice that calls our attention to the ringing echo of empty, the hollow glass in our own homes, schools, governments, churches. It's a call for each of us to move out into the world, to get dirty, to be the hands and feet of love, to raise our voices, to get involved sometimes and maybe even especially when it seems to have nothing to do with our individual lives, to get involved beyond the small group of people we choose to do life with, to listen and take to heart Mary's words as she turned to the servants with a simple command, do whatever he tells you. What we have here is a gorgeous modeling of Jesus movement mentality Ours is a call to resist the temptation to simply exist as a bystander at the feast, a call to hold ourselves and our leaders accountable. Ours is the work of discernment, of noticing, of speaking, of pressing toward revolution. This is the hope of the movement activated, the movement sustained. May it be so. Amen.